Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 is what we want to study together today. How many of us today need some rest? <laughs> Anybody here need any rest? All right. <laughs> Maybe you're a mom and you have several kids and they keep you running all the time. Maybe you're employed outside the home and it seems like more and more every week you're putting in more and more hours. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're doing everything you can to make that relationship work because you're really hoping that this one is going to be the one. Maybe you're a son or you're a daughter and you're thinking, you know what, I just can't ever quite live up to my parents' expectation and I'm just, I'm tired, I'm trying the best I can, but I'm just tired of trying to do that. Maybe you bought a handyman special and you're spending most of your time getting your house where you want it to be. Maybe even you're serving the Lord. You're doing a lot of work for God and you're just about to run out of gas. You know, I'm getting tired just saying all of that. But I think that it represents probably where many, if not all of us, are in our lives today to some degree or another. We live in a society that values hard work. And we're always, are we not, working hard for something. And in some respects, that's a good thing. But in other ways, it can be carried to a fault. And it can impact every area of our lives, especially our relationship with God. Let me illustrate that. If you ask the average person, in your opinion, what does it take for a person to get to heaven? Most people would answer somewhere to the effect of, you've got to be a good person. In other words, you've got to work hard to do the right things. Then hopefully, if you do a good job with your life, hopefully God will accept your efforts one day when you die. If you ask the average churchgoer, what is being a Christian really all about? Most people would say something to the effect of, well, you've got to be a good person. You've got to do certain things. You've got to read your Bible and you've got to give your time and your money and boy, you've got to start changing some of those bad habits. In other words, if, if you do all the right things, some Christians believe, God maybe will finally be happy with you. And maybe He'll just keep you in His family if you don't do those things anymore. If you don't change though, maybe He won't is what many people believe. In response to these ideas, I've heard it said before that religion is man's attempt to get to God. Christianity is God coming down to us. Well, today we're here to learn, aren't we? I hope you're here today because you want to grow, because you want to be challenged, because you want to better understand God's direction for your life, and you want to better experience His plan for your life. If that is going to happen in your life and in mine, we've got to answer a core question. Are you listening to me? Is my life my work, or is it God's? Is my life and the success of it based upon my efforts? Am I responsible to get all these little things right? Is it my job to make sure my life is what it could be, what it should be, what it ought to be? Or is it God's responsibility? I want to warn you today, and I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this. It is possible that if I, as God's servant, can clearly communicate what I believe His Word is saying this morning... And, it, and if you listen to what God has wanted to say to your heart, and if you would respond to that message, it is very possible that today could change your life. I really believe that. This morning, we're studying an important passage in God's Word. We're studying Ephesians 
chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And here's why we're looking at this passage today. You see, in chapters 1 through 2 of Ephesians, we've been exploring some of the amazing things that God has done for us in our lives if we have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I believe that the reason that God includes verses 8 through 10 here is to answer these questions. Hey, wait just a minute. As we're thinking about all the incredible things that God has done for us, that God is doing for us, what God has promised to us in the future, why on earth did God do that? Why has God given me so much as His child? And, 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 and I've got it now, and, and I wonder how I got it, but how can I what? How can I keep it? I mean, yeah, this is great, but how do I know that I'm going to continue to experience the blessing of God in my life? Was it something that I did to make God feel better about me? Is there something that I should continue to do in order to kind of keep Him going in a favorable attitude towards me? In this amazing experience of the Christian life, the great life that we've been learning about in Ephesians 1 and 2 that God offers to us, the question really is, is it my work or is it God's work? I believe today this could set us free. We're going to look today at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10. Let's go ahead and read those verses together. I'll just read it and you follow along silently with me there in your Bible. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. As we look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, I believe there are two things that jump out to us. And the first one is that a great life begins with God's work. A great life, this great life that we've been talking about, it all starts with God's work in our lives. Now, I need to remind you that back in verse 5, when Paul was describing the wonderful transition that many of us have made when we accepted Christ and we received spiritual life, we were born again. And we explained what that meant. We've been born once physically. We need to be born again. We need to have spiritual life come in us. We need a rebirth. And when that happened, Paul was describing that. As he was describing that, he had, he had hinted to us back in verse 5. Remember how I said he was so excited about this? Paul, he's just kind of, Ephesians is just one big run-on sentence. Paul just starts kind of like me sometimes, talking, and just keeps going. And you might want to say, slow down, Paul. Let me catch what you said. He said, don't worry, I'll get back to it in verse 8. But in verse 5, he just kind of thrown in there, uh, he made us alive together with Christ. Oh, by the way, by grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him. And then he's going to come back to it here, for by grace you have been saved. The result of this very special thing called our salvation, our relationship with Christ, he, he began to hint to us back in verse 5, was the result of something called grace. Then in verse 7, he had told us that one of the main reasons that God has worked so powerfully in my life and in your life is so that millions of years from now, in eternity to come, we could be, have you ever heard this term, trophies of God's grace. We will forever be living, breathing, visible examples for all of eternity of this great and marvelous and gracious Almighty God. 
In verse 8, after finishing his train of thought there in verse 7, he picks that up and by explaining to us further, why is it that God has given us this great experience of eternal life? All the wonderful blessings that we have experienced in beginning our walk with Christ, they have all come not as a result of any good deeds or any good works, but they have all completely come by the singular work of God through Christ Jesus. Not as a result of any good thing that I have done to earn them. Listen to what he says. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now grace, you may know, can be described as undeserved or unmerited favor. Some people say you could make it an acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. What does it mean? It means that you and I, as Christians, if we've received God's grace, we have access to the wonder of God. And that was accomplished because Jesus Christ paid the price for us and He provided His riches to us at zero expense to us. That's what grace is. Mercy is not getting the bad things that we do deserve. Grace is getting a whole lot of good things that we do not deserve. So just because God wants to, just because He chooses to, we experience grace, the undeserved favor of God. And that favor opens the door to our salvation. It opens the door for us to be forgiven and cleansed and enter into a personal, intimate love relationship with God. But then He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through trusting is what that word means. Now, at that point we might say, I thought this was all God's work. It sounds a little bit like I have to do something. But I want you to think about faith like this. Think about faith like receiving a gift, like accepting a present. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as, listen to this verse, this verse equates believing and receiving together. But as many as received Him, to them, to those people over there, those people that received Him, to them He gave the right, to become children of God. And then he qualifies it by saying, even to those who believe or who trust in His name. Do you see how the Bible equates believing and receiving? Many people think believing is just a head thing. I heard the facts about Jesus. Yes, I'll say that those things are true. I must be a Christian. The Bible says no. Belief is trust. Believe is to put our care in His hands. Believe is to, to receive this gift. But, but we're not doing anything. We're just opening a gift. I mean, if you brought me a gift, you would say, Robbie, happy birthday. And I'd say, oh, but I didn't mow your lawn. Oh, I hadn't washed your car. Well, no. This is a what? This is a gift. It's just something I bought it. I paid for it. And I, I want you to have it. This is something I want to give to you. Will you allow me to give it to you? But even if you still want to say, no, that that still sounds like something I do, God tells us, He makes it very clear in these verses, that even that was not of ourselves. Even, now listen friend, this is a powerful truth, I think. When you begin to understand it, you begin to realize the grace of God. Even the ability to open up my heart and to trust God by faith comes from God. Did you realize that? And by the way, I think grammatically and contextually, I believe it's saying right here that that's not of yourselves. The whole thing, none of it, not the faith, not the grace, not the salvation, none of that was in and of ourselves. The Bible teaches us, friend, listen, I can't come to God. Did you realize this? I will not come to God unless God does something in my heart to initiate that first. Did you realize that? Some people have never realized. I remember 
One time, a pastor saying in a service, I remember him saying, if God is speaking to your heart, please do not take that for granted because God is, God is gifting you with the opportunity to hear and to respond to His message. If your heart is open, don't take that for granted. And you know, I'm a thinker. Even at 12 years old, I said, I don't believe that. I don't believe that, you know, this is a one-time deal. I don't believe that, you know, i got to sit around here worrying about maybe it won't come back again or be scared about that. Where does the Bible say that? Well, I learned the Bible does teach that. The Bible teaches that if God doesn't initiate something in me first, I will never come to Him. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, It is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, and here's the key, there is none who seeks for God. The Bible says that none of us on our own, independent of God, will come towards God. His way doesn't make sense to us. His way is not what we would have figured out. Remember what I said? Religion is what? Religion is us trying to get to Him. You know what we would figure out? We would figure out a way to get to Him, wouldn't we? That's always been man's way, but what's God's way? God's way is God coming to us. We would have never made that up. We would have never figured that out. God had to reveal it to us. John chapter 6 Verse 44 says this. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Did you hear that? Friend, today, if you are beginning to open up to the idea, now listen, this ought to be powerful to you. If you're the kind of person that would say, I know God works in all these people's lives, but He would never speak to somebody like me. He would never work in the heart of somebody like me. Listen, If you are open to God today, that is automatically evidence that God, sure enough, whether you realize it or not, is working in your heart right now. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that encouraging? If I'm sitting here today saying, I I am kind of open to God, I would be willing to hear from Him, that means that God is already working in your life. The faith, the grace, the salvation, every bit of it, all of it is a gift of God. And I wish, without getting too technical here, that I could just kind of walk down through. The, the passage is put together in such a way as to make it absolutely clear, this is God. In fact, the emphasis here, it says this. If you were to read it in the original, it says this. For by grace you have been saved. And then when it gets to the end of that phrase, it says, of God the gift is. Now in English, we translate it, it is the gift of God, because that makes more sense in English, Right? But in Greek, they could change words around for emphasis. And so when he got to that point about the gift part, he said, of God, the gift is. What is that saying? It's completely of Him. This gift, which is pretty clear in and of itself, that word tells us it's a gift of God it is. And in case we're still not convinced, he says very clearly it is not a result of works. Now some of us here today, need to hear God emphasize this about five times in this passage. Because some of us here today, you will hear me say that, and yet it's going in one ear and it's going out the other. You believe with all your heart, you, you maybe you've been taught or that's just the way you've been brought up, that I have to do something to earn love. The Bible says it is not a result of works. The word that is used there is the word that we get our word energy It is not from you expending energy. Isn't that what it feels like? I am trying so hard to please God. I am trying so hard to get a relationship with Him. The Bible says it's not your energy. It's not your efforts of trying real hard. If it were, somebody could boast about it. Someone said, we will not strut around in heaven as peacocks. I mean, nobody will say, 
I know all y'all got here cut by grace, but I was pretty sharp. I mean, God was pretty impressed with me. And I got here a different way. You know what in heaven? Jesus is the star of the show. He's the only one that's going to be applauded. Because if it were not for Him, for His death, for His burial, and thank God for His resurrection, nobody else would be there. It's as clear in these verses as it is anywhere else in the Bible. If I am a child of God, if I have a relationship with Him, my salvation can be credited completely to the work of God. It has zero to do with my own efforts. Now again, I need to address with some of us here. Some of us, possibly even many of us, have never heard that before. Unfortunately, we've been led to believe that we have to do something. We, there must be something that I have to do for God to accept me. And this is going to be shocking for some of us. But did you know, baptism most certainly will not get you to heaven. The Bible never teaches that. Did you know that taking communion or the Lord's Supper is not enough for you to get into heaven? Did you know that no amount of classes that you take about Christianity or the Bible about God, none of that will get you into heaven? Helping an older person across the street, that won't do it. Stopping to change a single lady's flat tire, that won't do it. Giving money to this church won't get you there. You know what I believe? Even though you might say, I've always thought, I've always heard, I've always believed that I had to do something, I really believe that deep down in your heart you knew that you couldn't, didn't you? Somebody may have told you those things would make you right with God, but didn't you, didn't I have a sense that that was just not enough? And your sense was right. Are you trying your best to make God happy? Are you trying your best to earn your way to Him? Hoping to get it right. Hoping that more times than not, I'll get things right than get it wrong. Hoping that one day, my good will be over here, my bad will be over here. And and what? What are we hoping? There's this big scale in heaven, right? That my good will outweigh my bad. I don't know about you, but that's a scary proposition for me. Because I'm pretty bad. This truth we're learning cuts against our grain, doesn't it? Most of our experience in life tells us that we must earn acceptance. We must earn love. We must earn respect and favor. Hasn't the world told us nothing is truly for free? Hasn't it? We have free car washes sometimes in the summer months. We just go to Walmart. No, I mean, we have to write on the sign, totally free. Because people read free and they say, oh, I know it's free, but you want donation. No, really. Free means free. We don't want donations. We just want to wash your car. There's no way. I've never heard of that. Why would somebody do that? There's got to be something you want me to give to this. Let's just write the check, get over with, wash my car. No. We want to do this for you. Well, I'm sorry, I can't accept it. Well, why not? Well, nothing's free. Well, this is. Well, it can't be. got to be something. They don't want to feel obligated. They want to feel... You know, what if somebody... And think about this. What if somebody walked up to your house yesterday and said, I just want to rake your yard? You know what I'd say? Sure you do. How much do you want for it, right? I mean, that... It, 99 out of 100 times, if somebody knocked on your door and said, can I rake your yard, what do they want? Good for them. They're trying to make some money. They wanted some money. 
What if somebody knocked on your door and said, I just want to rake your yard? All right, how much? No, I just want to rake it. Sure, whatever. What, do you want me on your mailing list? What is it? No, I just want to rake your yard. Yeah, right. I'm going to sit in here watching college football and you're going to rake my yard? I can't do that. I would struggle with that. As human beings, we can't accept a free gift, can we? We just can't believe that it's true. It doesn't make sense to us, but the Bible says it's true. By the way, I'll just say to you again, your sense is right. Nothing's for free. Jesus paid for it. He, he for sure paid a high, high price. The key is it's free to us. When, when we wash those cars for people, it's not free. Somebody had to work. I got sweaty. I put on shorts and a t-shirt. I got soap all over me. Somebody had to pay for it. Nothing is free, but it can be free to you. It's all the work of God. A great life with God begins by you and I trusting that it's God's work and it's not our own efforts. Well, for many of us, that's kind of new. It may be life-changing for you. I trust and pray that it is today. Maybe it's hard for you. It's difficult for you to receive. I pray that you can receive that truth today. But others of us have gotten to a point of saying, all right, well, I'll go with that. Yeah, this is great. Now, if it's really true, go ahead, rake the yard, right? Lord, thanks. I couldn't do it. Thanks for doing it for me. But our problem is we're, we're okay with beginning by grace. We're okay with beginning with God's work. And then we just say, well, okay, but from here on out, I'll take care of it, Lord, right? Number two, a great life continues by God's work. Look at verse 10. He says, for we are His workmanship. This could change a Christian's life today. Would you hear the heart of your God? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, before we start this part, I want to address some people. If you're out there today, and you're one of those people that would be described as a control freak, somebody who likes to be in charge, or maybe, it may not feel good to say it, but maybe you could even be described as a manipulator. And I don't mean by that a vindictive, hurtful, mean person, but you're someone who, who likes to work the, the things in your life out so that it comes out for your preferences or to your liking or, or to, the, to your advantage or to the way that you would want it to go. If so, these verses could be very hard for you, but they could be transformational. The language here in verse 10 is really pretty beautiful. It's the language, clearly, of creation. Both of these words, workmanship and the verb created, are talking specifically about creation. The word workmanship, it says we are His workmanship. Again, there for emphasis, His is, per, is, is put first. We are His workmanship. In the Greek, it's put His workmanship we are. Again, where's the emphasis? What God's, what's God saying? It is all His work. I mean, the, the only thing God left was for Paul to get a megaphone and just say, hey guys, when you read his, this, don't miss this part, right? I mean, the way he's put it together, it's very clear. The word for workmanship is the word that we get our word poem. Now, I, want, I don't want to extrapolate too much from that, but the word here speaks, workmanship speaks, of, I want you to picture creation. It speaks of craftsmanship. And I like the thought of the beauty of that idea of poem, don't you? We are a crafted work of art pinned from the hand of God. Isn't that awesome? 
We are created in Christ Jesus. That word created is used 12 times in the New Testament and four of its occurrences are here in this tiny book of Ephesians. It refers, it's the word that's used to talk about God's creative acts. It's talking about newness. It's talking about freshness. It gives you the idea of God taking us in His hands and carefully crafting us into what He wants us to be. Isn't that a great picture? God is working on me. Amen? Do you sense that? God is working on me. He's creating me. Now, I fight Him a lot on it, but I sense it. That God is working in my life. Do you? And what were we created for? Well, God, it's nice to know you're working on me, but where are we going with this thing? The Bible says we were created for good works. God's intention was that we would walk, or that's just a a word to, to, to picture our lives, that we would live our lives in good works. Now, you might be confused now. You say, Robbie, didn't you say good works don't matter? No, I didn't. I said that good works, and don't miss the distinction, it may be subtle, but it's pretty big. Our good works cannot earn us a relationship with God. No amount of good efforts can get us to God on our own. We needed Him to do something for us. We needed His work on the cross. We needed Him to defeat death and to rise again. However, that's not to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right, as we might say. That's not to say that good works are out of the picture. In fact, the way these verses put it, we were created for good works. You may wonder, what is my purpose in life? What am I supposed to do with my life? God just comes out and tells you, this is one of the biggest purposes for my life. I was created for this. And in fact, it was so important that God thought about this way, way beforehand. God planned and prepared way beforehand that I would live my life like this. Here's how some other people have put it. Good works are not the requirement for salvation. They're not the requirement for becoming a new creation, but they are the goal of it. They are the purpose of it. We might even say they're the evidence or the result of it. That's why if you're here today and you say, I am a child of God, I have received Christ as my Savior. But if you would say, right now I'm not really walking with God, that person doesn't cease to be a Christian, but they are miserable, aren't they? I think one of the most miserable people in the world is someone who has a living God living in their heart. They are a child of God, but they're not walking with God. You know why? You say, why is that? You know why? Because you're not fulfilling your purpose. Try to start treating your... Ford Ranger, like a donkey. Doesn't work, right? I mean, lead that thing right up to a trough. It'll never drink. It'll never crank again. It just doesn't work. And it's not that a person who claims to be a Christian, but doesn't show the fruit of it by growing in good works, it's not that that person loses their salvation. It's not that they cease to be a new creation in Christ. It's likely that he or she has never experienced new creation in the first place, which is why they show no evidence of it. So good works don't bring me to Christ. Christ brings me to Himself. But after I come to Christ, I'm going to start changing. God wants us to show the evidence of His work in our lives by good works. Now, again, at this point, I need to speak directly to some Christians here. Many of us are living life like this. God saved you. 
He made you a new creation. Yes, that's His work. Then you decided the rest was all up to you. No, 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 no. So many Christians think that and are living like that. One of my favorite verses. You know why? Because I struggle with the same thing in my own life. And I believe it's something that we've got to deal with for the rest of our lives as Christians. Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you remember when you came to Christ? Do you remember how you said to Him, Lord Jesus, I can't do anything on my own. I need You to be my Savior. Would You come into my heart? I just just surrender my life to You. Do you remember when you did that? So why wouldn't we keep surrendering? Why wouldn't we keep crying out to Him? Not in the sense of having to receive Him again as our Savior. That's a done deal. When we receive Christ, that's settled. But in the sense of God, my heart all along has been, I need You. I need You. I need You. Remember what it says? We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. It's passive there. Someone does that to us. Who was it? God did it to us. God created us. We can't. I mean, isn't it kind of common sense? I can't create myself. God prepared all of this beforehand. Don't convince ourselves that we can control our lives. Even in doing good things, it must be God's work in us. This language speaks of nothing on my part. If you go watch a potter making pots out of clay, how much does that pot have the least to do with where they end up? Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are potter, our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. Would you get that image today? Would you see yourself maybe for the first time in your life as being in the hands of Almighty God? When He saved you, friend, when He made you a new creation in Christ, He didn't say, great, done with you. That was just the beginning of Him creating you into His image. Isn't that freeing? I am the work of God's hands, not my own. Are you tired? Are you tired? Can you imagine that poor little pot trying to say, I gotta be a good pot. I gotta, I gotta come in on this side and I gotta go out on that side. And man, I got this thing over here and I gotta pop that off. How frustrating. Weird. If it were true, but how frustrating for that little pot. What would you say? Little pot. Quit. Just let the potter do it. By the way, he's a good potter. He's got a good plan for you. Looking kind of nice. If you just leave him alone, you're forming kind of nicely. I want to make this clear for you today. Quit trying so hard. You say, do what, Pastor? I said, quit trying so hard. God came, do you believe this? God came to give you rest. So start resting in Him. Stop trying to live the Christian life. It's Him that is going to live it through you. Do you see the difference? It is so subtle, but it is a huge difference. I cannot conjure up good stuff. I cannot do it. But if I'll just get out of His way, Christ will initiate, just like He did in salvation. Do you see that? Christ will initiate. I don't need to give Him hints. I don't need to say, what if we go in this direction, Lord? What do you think about this? All I need to do is respond as He initiates His work in me. All I need to do is just be open to Him, is seek Him, is listen to Him. 
Start allowing Him to work in your life. Now, let me give you an example of that. Let's say you struggle with your language. All right? First of all, I must realize that whether I curse or not, whether I use good language or bad language, that's not going to get me into heaven, right? I need Jesus. But if I am going to heaven, if I have Jesus in my heart, I ought to, at minimum, experience a desire to stop that, right? I mean, there ought to be evidence that don't like that anymore. There's something in me that doesn't feel right about that anymore, that gossip or the cursing or whatever it is. So how do I stop? Well, many Christians approach it like this. I've got to be a good little boy or girl. I need to stop cursing. I need to stop cursing. I need to stop cursing. Doesn't work, does it? What I need to say is, God, would you please help me to stop cursing? And Lord, by the way, the next time those little words come up, would you help me to stop them? Or Lord, just as soon as I say them, you know what, Lord, now I'm not even thinking about it until the end of the day, but just as soon as I say them, would you remind me? That's not what God would have done. Would you help me to make it right? God, I'm not going to be able to catch this. I'm not going to be able to pull this off. Lord, I'm just dependent on you. When this happens, would you please help me? Do you see the difference, friend? It's not God says, okay, I saved you. Now go get straight. God says, I saved you. Now let's start walking together. And you just listen to me. And when I speak to you about something, that's why it's so important. If God is speaking to your heart about something today, that is your next step. You might have your mind on a lot of other steps in your life, but you just trust God that whatever He's speaking to you about today, that is your next step. And as He initiates that in you, then you just say, yes, Lord. I like, now I don't want to make too strong a distinction because I'm not against the word commitment, okay? But just for the purpose of making a point, let me share with you, I prefer to use the word surrender. Because commitment sounds like I'm still in charge, doesn't it? Yes, I will do this. I will trust Christ. I will make this decision. You know what surrender is? I can't do anything. I'm just going to let Him do it. I want to encourage you, not so much to be committed to Christ, although that may be appropriate to say as a phrase, but do you hear the emphasis? Why don't you just surrender to Christ? Why don't you let Him initiate His work in your heart and you allow Him to do it? Philippians chapter 1 Verse 6 in chapter 2, verse 13 talks about this. Philippians 1, 6 says, For I am confident, friend, today, Paul's telling you, as a child of God, he says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You're going to be all right. Just back off yourself. Amen? Just chill out. Actually, your biggest problem is you're getting in the way. If you just get out of the way and let him work, God's going God's to fix you up right. Just just leave him alone. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. I love this. For it is God who is at work in you. Aren't you glad? It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You know what that tells me? He gives me the want to and He gives me the ability to. It is God who gives me even the desire to do it. Again, remember, that's evidence that God's working. If I want to do God's way, that's evidence that God's working and then He gives me the ability to to carry it out. You were created to function like that. Did you realize that? You were created to have a Lord living in your life and you responding to the direction of that Lord. The question is, who's going to be the Lord? 
Most, if not all of us, are working way too hard in life. Some of us here today are trying our hardest to have a relationship with God. The Bible says it is impossible. The Bible says, will you believe? Will you trust? Will you receive God's gift? Even the ability to do that comes from God. So recognize it, thank Him for it, and go with it. Amen? Don't overanalyze it. Just say, God, you're working. And I receive it. I respond to it. Today, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, God wants to set you free. God wants to give you forgiveness of your sins and eternal promise that you will never be held accountable for your sins because Christ has already paid the price. He wants to come into your life to be your Savior, to set up residence in your heart, and then for the rest of your life, for you to walk with Him on a daily basis, experiencing the good things He created your life for. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, We heard a testimony just a few moments ago. Did you know people in this room have done that before? During the same time right now, why couldn't today be your day? Why not today you be the one that we find out at the end of the service or we find out next week or maybe some other time you're going to let us know about it. But between you and God right now, you're tired of it. You're tired of trying to win God's approval. And God is telling you, I never expected you to. God knew when He created us that He was going to have to fulfill His own requirements in order for us to be rescued. And He was willing to send Jesus to die for you. Would you say, thank you, God? Would you just say, Jesus, I believe you did that for me. I believe you paid for my sins. I believe you rose again and defeated sin and death. And I want to accept your life and receive you as my Savior. Are you a Christian here today? And the Bible's challenging you today. You say, It says, are you so foolish? Having begun by God's work, are you trying to continue in your own efforts? Are you a new creation in Christ? Are you trying to do that within yourself? Salvation was not your work. The rest of your growth in Christ will not be your work either. Would you today, to whatever extent you need to, start allowing Christ to lead your life. Let's pray together. Lord, I I meet so many people who are trying real hard, even Christians. And I pray today that you would help us to hear what you're trying to say, to respond to it and to obey it. There is nothing that I can do for myself. I need to receive a free gift. A gift that costs you everything, Jesus. It's certainly not a cheap gift, but it is free to us. And I thank you for that, God, because I sense that I could have never earned it. I could have never gotten it right. I blow it every day. I already have today, God. If it were left up to me, I'd be outside. I'd be, I'd be uh, unable to have a relationship with you. Lord, this is revolutionary for us. Our world says we must do something. Certainly you call us to action, but it's action that's initiated and empowered by you. Help us today to learn the difference and to respond to it right now. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.